everybody, and welcome to another Project Egg interview. Today we're talking to Joel Ivers from Pasadena, California. How are you doing today, Joel? I'm good, thank you. Good, good. Thanks a lot for, uh, for coming on today. So let's jump right in, and I want to start uh, by asking you, what is your story? What is my story? You mean my from the entrepreneurial story or my whole story or what? Your whole story, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. <laughs> um, well, I never said it since this is about entrepreneurism. I never really started out to be an entrepreneur. Um, back in my day, that wasn't something that you majored in or even talked about. If you started a business, okay, but not too many people did that. So um, I took a pretty straight and narrow um, path, went through college majored in chemistry, um, went to grad school, um, was in a PhD program at Indiana University for molecular biology and genetics, decided that uh, I really didn't want to finish my PhD. I took my master's degree. I didn't love the research and uh, decided that uh, what I liked about grad school was teaching. So I left. Um, I became certified and I taught high school chemistry for three years. And I was successful doing that, started an AP chemistry program at the high school I was at. Um, and uh, I had a successful team that competed for state prizes. They, everybody in the state took a test in Ohio. And the team that had the highest scores won the state, and our team won the state. So I had done a lot in a couple of years. I had gotten tenure. So I was ready to stay as a teacher, but I realized I'd never make any money. So I decided it was time to move on. Um, over uh, Christmas break, I went to a recruiter and said, hey, at the end of the school year, I want to uh, get a job in sales in some sort of technical area since I have a technical degree. And he said, oh, um, there's something open right now. Go talk to the manager. I went to talk to the guy right there. And within two weeks, I had resigned my teaching position. And the next thing you know, I was working for a division of Johnson & Johnson. So um, it was a great opportunity. Um, to, to begin my career and have professional training. Um, but I was just a science guy who was moving into the business world. So I was a sales rep for several years and then promoted to division manager, moved up to Michigan for a couple of years, and uh, it was time to move on, to move ahead with J&J, &J, but I'd have to move to New Jersey, and I really didn't want to do that. So um, stayed in the Midwest and found a marketing position in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I had been and uh, um, was in marketing for a company. And from there, um, it was a clinical research company. From there, um, got a call from a headhunter about five or six years later. Did I want to start a, a, a sort of an entrepreneur position? It was a new division, a new technology within a biotech company in La Jolla, California. Did I want to take this product and launch it worldwide? And it was in an area I was familiar with. So I said yes, and I did that, and that's really what got me started on the path of being an entrepreneur. So um, launched this product worldwide. We had to obtain regulatory approval from the US FDA, from Japanese regulators, and other, other countries around the world, and figure out shipping. It was a big ordeal. So I had a lot of good experience, international experience, doing all that, and uh, <clears throat> And, and that was working just fine. But then a whole group of us were approached by investors. A group of us at that company were approached by investors who wanted to form a, a new startup biotech company. And it was the sister company of Human Genome Sciences in um, Rockville, Maryland. 
And that was a big opportunity at the time when the human genome was being sequenced. So we decided to do it. So a whole group of us left the company I was at and started up another company with funding from one of the largest healthcare, it's called Healthcare Ventures now, largest uh, um, healthcare investment firm, VC firm in the, in the country or maybe the world. So we had an opportunity to do that. Um, you know, we had an initial start of $12 million before we even set foot in the place. And uh, we began a biotech company. So did that for several years, launched product again worldwide. Um, and uh, the company had some issues with where it was being located. And it was on the East Coast and the next was on the West Coast. And uh, at some point in time, I decided I really didn't want to... Um, move so they said look you know you need to decide you're going to move to the west coast or not and i chose not to and uh so from there i um uh i found a position uh in, uh, back in clinical research in ohio which is where i had been living and eventually um, um i decided that i really didn't want to just just be a um, marketing guy i wanted to run a company and wanted to start a company so um, I obtained a position that was a general manager of a division of a company, worked my way into COO. And from there, um, we, were, we then decided to sell the company. And I was one of the three principals, sold the company. And then when we were sold, the new venture firm made me CEO. So that's kind of how I made my way into that whole, whole thing. Um, so I was fortunate in that, did that for a couple of years. And... Um, but unfortunately, the venture group that we bought um, made us promises that they never really kept. And I decided that that wasn't working out for me and it wasn't working for them. So I left and I became independent for a couple of years and then eventually found my way into um, some startup companies. And uh, without going into all the detail, I was a part of three or four different startup companies um, and eventually raising money um, on my own. Uh, to get these companies going. They were all in a technical area, all in um, diagnostics or pharmaceuticals, uh, either OTC or RX drugs, and, uh, <clears throat> and did that for several years. Um, and then um, I had an opportunity near the end of my career to actually run a venture capital firm. So I was recruited also for that and decided, oh, this will be fun to be on the other side of the desk when I can decide whether people should get, be, should get money or not. And at that point, I had seen enough business plans and been through enough myself, you know, in terms of raising money and what value proposition I had to bring to, to an investor and to clients. Um, and so I, I took that and did that for a couple of years until uh, I decided to retire and move down to Florida, which is now where I live. So that's my story in a nutshell. Wow. So, <laughs> so how many companies did you start or or end up on the top of in, in your in your total? Um, I think I have to count them all. I think it's five. I think it's five. I have to look at my resume because I forget over time. But I think it's about five different companies. That that's what I was in that position. That's incredible. So so let's go back a little bit because I kind of want to dive into your history a little bit more. Um, you know, you started off uh, with a chemistry degree. Uh, right. You started off teaching. Right. Um, what parts of your schooling and the chemistry, what what parts kind of came back uh, that you saw as an entrepreneur? Well, clearly when you're an entrepreneur, you have to explain to your audience 
and that audience is either investors or customers. You know what what it is you have and what you have why you have something valuable. So after you teach high school for three years, which is what I did, and you've got this you know group of 25 students, some of whom want to be there, some of whom don't. You have to figure out how to be entertaining but yet informative in order to make them listen and make them interested in what you're doing. So I found that the teaching experience was probably among the most valuable experience that I had early on that I drew on all the time. And I had to give tons of speeches and lectures and presentations over and over again. You know, when you do your pitches, it's basically like teaching a class. So um, all that experience really helped me. It really was valuable. That's incredible. Um, but, but you know, I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to keep going into your history. Um, you know, you said that that experience was incredibly valuable. But at what point did you say to yourself, "Teaching is not enough for me. I need to go to the to the next step." And and how did you deal with those emotions? Um. Well, I think it was, I think, uh, to be frank, um, I had friends who had, I had a master's degree and was in a PhD program, so I had advanced some more education than most of the guys, and I had friends who had a bachelor's degree, and they had gotten good jobs with companies, they had company cars, they had expense accounts and all this stuff, and I was a teacher making, let's see, around $10,000 a year at the time, and I thought to myself, this is ridiculous. I'm more educated than these people. I have skill sets, as good a skill sets as they do. There's no reason why I should be suffering. So it was a financial decision. It was difficult to leave because I had tenure. I had had a successful teaching career. I was in really one of the best schools in the state of Ohio. Um, but you know, you just have to let that go. And you do take a leap of faith. And that's a big part of being an entrepreneur anyway, later on. But you have to just say, okay, I'm going to give this a shot, not knowing whether or not it was worth it, or where, sorry, if it would be worth it. So you just have to do that, and you just have to let go with your with the stable part of your life, and just and just hope for the best. And and that kind of brings me uh, to to my next point. You know, I'm glad you you mentioned that because I feel like a lot of people they like the security, they like the stability right. of you know, go to school, get a job. You know, um, but what advice would you give to people who, you know, they they might be right on that cusp of of taking the leap, but they're not quite ready to jump. How how would you kind of help them take that jump? What advice would you give them? Well, they have to talk. They have to think about where they want to be. You know, in five or ten years, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean. You know, can you close your eyes and say, okay, if I don't do anything, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing in five years. And if you're the kind of person that you need that, then you probably shouldn't take the leap. On the other hand, if you're a person that that is okay with uncertainty, then you should take the leap. And if your goal is is a big enough goal, I mean, for me, I knew that I knew that I couldn't get married. I mean, I was married, but I knew it would be hard to have children and not have both of us work full time unless I had a better job, unless I was making more money. And uh, that motivated me to do that. Um, but you have to be that kind of person that takes chances. And if you're not that kind of person, you really should admit that to yourself at that point and just say, you know what, this isn't for me, because it really isn't for everybody. Not everybody can do that. 
So it's just a self-examination is really what you have to do more than anything else. But, you know, just, just to be sure, uh, I don't think either of us are, are saying that um, not being an entrepreneur is a, is a bad thing. You know, you Correct. Can, I, I, feel right. like, I feel like everybody should do what they feel most comfortable doing and, and what they feel best suits them. Like you said, it's a lot of, a lot of self-reflection. Um, right. But, you know, I'm also of the opinion that everybody, I think everybody should at least try. They should at least try, and if they don't like it, they can, they can you know, stop doing it. But, um, you know, to, to go back to your story, um, when you were jumping into different companies uh, and, and, you know, you started off in sales, I believe, and then, and then right. you were working your way up, right. what were the most important traits that you had to exhibit in order to keep moving up? You know, in, in other words, what are the best traits to have as an entrepreneur? Well, I think, I think the focus is you've got to, what I always tell my kids too, you always have to do the best job you can do at the job you're assigned to do at that point in time. Most people try to look ahead too fast and too much. And really the best advice is to just be fabulous at what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're fabulous at what you're doing, you'll get recognition for that one way or the other. So it's it's say, okay, here's my job today. Here's what I have to do. And just make sure that you get that done and do it well. And you're successful and things usually take care of themselves. That's really the most important thing of all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about, um, about your past. Uh, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about your present and, and what you're doing right now. So could you maybe give some insight as to, um, you know, what Joel Ivers is up to today? <laughs> well, it's a little difficult. I retired two years ago, moved down to Florida. Congratulations, and, by the way. Thank you. And, uh, and so I'm in, a, I'm in a great position where I don't have to work if I don't want to, but I kind of want to do something. And uh, what I started to, and the, the other issue is when you move, I lost my whole network. All my network of people and individuals, all my LinkedIn people, not everybody was in Ohio, but, but certainly the, the, a large number of people were there because I had spent years, you know, doing, doing work there. So, um, uh, so down here, I had to start over again. So I started going to some networking events. I, you know, I basically figured out what the, uh, what the organizations were, the venture capital groups in particular. So I went to some events, started to meet people. And eventually I was asked to be a mentor for a startup program called Startup Quest in Fort Lauderdale. And I was a mentor to a group of 11 people. We had to choose a technology, build a business plan, create a pitch, and then enter a competition with about 10 other teams. So I did that for several months um, a year ago. And that was an interesting experience, to say the least. Um, and from that, I met a whole bunch of different people. And I've had maybe three or four different business opportunities, things that we've wanted to start, new businesses we wanted to start, anything from a new venture capital fund to new consulting firms to um, actually taking some technology and creating a company around it. So those are all options, and I've pursued all of them. Unfortunately, for one reason or another, none of them have worked out so far. So I'm in the position of still searching for what that is, and because I have the luxury of time, I can wait until the right thing comes up before I jump to do anything. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. And just 
a week or so ago, I was asked to um, be a mentor for another program, a similar type program. So I'm going to do that because it'll give me more exposure to more people, and then I'll figure it out. So um, at this point, I'm just trying to find the right thing that makes the most sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's what I'm doing. And then if not, I'm just enjoying myself. Right. So, you know, with all of your experience, um, you know, working in companies, building companies, running companies, investing in companies, what would you say for, for somebody who might just want to start up a company or um, – Let's focus on just starting up a new company. What do you think are the most important steps that they need to take to go from day one to customer one? Well, clearly they have to figure out what it is they want to sell and you know what service or product do they want to sell. And then before they get before they can get too far, they have to figure out well what is it that they can offer? And what is the competitive landscape such that can they offer something that either other people don't or they can offer it a lot better or faster or cheaper? Is there some hook that they have that, that's valuable? Um, they then have to test that pretty carefully on who they think their customers are. And what that means is talking to lots of people. So they take their idea, their concept, whatever they've put together, and they go talk to people and see if people can, you know, if people would actually buy it. So the big, the big thing is lots of people will tell you, oh, that's a great idea. I think that's great. But the question is, can you put it down into, okay, here's a product or service. Here's what it's going to cost. And if you had an opportunity to buy it, Mr. Customer, will you buy it? You know, would you do this? And if they say no, then you've got to say why not, and you've got to figure it all out. The point is you've got to do a lot of that because you've got a, you know, early sell, if you will, or pre-sell in order to figure out if you have something somebody cares about. Because a lot of times you have great ideas, but nobody really cares, and so there's no point. So you've got to figure that out quickly. You also have to figure out on the finance side, how much money is it going to take to bring this product, if it's a product, to fruition? How long is that going to take? You've got to create a decent business plan and figure out you know, what those steps are, first of all, how much each of those steps are going to take, figure out your timeline, and then if you have to raise money, you obviously need that information coupled with the client feedback information and coupled with the, um, you know, here's my product and here's what it does and why it's important. Take all that to an investor if you want somebody to invest in you. And if you're in a startup mode, you can only hope to invest, you know, you probably get about maybe half a million dollars from somebody before you have um, any revenue, before you have any revenue at all, you could probably get you know anything from 50,000 to I'd say half a million in a pre-revenue sort of situation where you've done all those steps I just described. And then once you've done that and you've, let's say you've launched the product, then, um, then you have to have at least a million dollars in revenue and multiple repeat customers, not just single customers, but repeat customers. And then you can go after bigger dollars, a million dollars up to five million, et cetera. So those are the steps that you have to take, I think, in order to get there. But the core thing is, what am I selling and does anyone care and will they pay for it? That's the biggest part. Right, right. And, you know, when you're talking about um, figuring out what you can sell, um, I feel like a lot of people struggle with that because they, yes. they, they might not think that anything that they can create 
or provide is worth money. Um, so for somebody who's trying to start a business but maybe doesn't know what that could be, uh, what would be some good ways for them to figure out things that they can sell? Well, I think they have to first look inside and in themselves and say, what am I interested in? Because you've got to be passionate about what it is you're selling anyway. So you've got to say, you know, what's out there in the world? I mean, you have to be observant. Where do I see a need? Where do I see a need where there's a, there should be a product or a service and nobody's offering that today? I mean, all the apps that people have created, somebody said, oh, well, how about if I could get a ride anytime I wanted it just by a touch on my phone? And then Uber was formed, you know, those kinds of things. Or, gee, I'm always at the supermarket and I never can find, you know, something in the market. Maybe there's some way that you could you could figure out for each store how people could go on their phone and, you know, tap something and, oh, here's where the cherries are or here's where the peanut butter is or who knows. I'm just coming up with stuff off the top of my head. But you've got to figure out what's out there, where there's a real need, and then do you care, do you, are you interested in that? Um, the other source of, the, the other way to do it, so that's that's kind of a more organic way. The other way, of course, is, you know, there are technology transfer offices in virtually every major university in the world, and um, you can go to a technology transfer office and say, is there any technology here that the university would like to license and that, um, you know, that I can license from the university and then you find something you're interested in and then put together an agreement. Most universities will let you do some licensing without upfront money, at least for a while. And there's some, there's some royalties baked in on the, on, the, on the other end, but that's the other way to find technology. So it's either something you figure out makes sense because you know there's a need or you find a technology and then of course you have to look at the marketplace to see if the world cares. Those are two, those are the two sort of basic ways. Or you're sitting around with a bunch of friends having a bunch of drinks and then you talk about, you know, you brainstorm what would be a good thing. You know, what do you care about or what do you find that you don't have or that you would need? Um, and that, which really leads to sort of a generic market research. I suppose if you had an idea, you asked everybody you knew that might give you some more ideas. That's and, really about what you do. And, and that kind of leads me into my next question of, you know, so we just addressed figuring out what it is you're going to sell, but in order to figure out if customers actually care about it, if they're willing to buy it, that's a whole different story. Could you, could you maybe give some insight as to how to figure that out? Well, it's pretty straightforward. You, like I said, you come, you put together, okay, here's what I'm going to sell. You, um, you know, document it one way or the other or put it together in a PowerPoint presentation. And then you say, who would be the likely buyer? You call some people up or you ask somebody and you get referrals. That's really the best way to do it. So it's a warm visit rather than a cold call. It's a warm call. And that you um, say, hey, I just want to, um, I have this idea for this product that I'm working on or this company I'm working on. Would you be willing to help me out by listening to what I have to say? to see, get your feedback on it. In other words, you usually don't walk in there to say, hey, I want to sell you, you know, 10 dozen of these. You ask for people for feedback. And so then you make an appointment and then you present them, present to them what, what it is you have. And then, and then you ask some open-ended questions of, and closed questions. You know, will you buy this? What do you think of this? How do you think this could best be used? What do you think this competes with? What else would you buy if you didn't buy this from me? 
or what are you using today? You know, if you had your wish, what would the ideal product look like? Those kinds of questions. And you've got to actually physically, it's really not that hard. You just have to do it. And the problem that I see is that most people skip that step and they develop, 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 but they really don't have any feedback from the marketplace. And then they go to launch or something and they really, they fall flat on their face because they really don't have any real world feedback. And the sooner you take it to the market, that's part of lean launch, I think, too. And the sooner you take it to the marketplace, the better off you are. Absolutely. Even if you, just, even if you get negative feedback, because then you can figure out what it is, is good or what isn't good. Right, right. And uh, I believe there's a term uh, called the minimum viable product, or minimum viable product. MVP or minimum viable product is a standard term that's used. And it's really just... It's creating, it's like creating a prototype that's the, the minimum viable. In other words, it works, and it's, but it's minimal. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles on it necessarily that you're going to want to have on it, but it's the basic, the basic product that works. Now, sometimes you can have a minimum viable product. You can first create a concept of what that would be, so it's just on paper. But generally, then, you want to create a minimum viable prototype of some sort in order to show that to people. Um, to demonstrate what it is you have, but it is just the basic, the basic widget, if you will, that that does something so you can prove it to somebody else and get feedback. That's what it is. That's brilliant, and and you know I really do appreciate you um, adding value to this call because you know I think one of the staples of entrepreneurship is adding value to others, uh, and and that's what we aim to do uh, through Project A. So I do thank you for that. Um, but but to go back to um, to your story, so we talked a little bit about uh, where you came from, your past. We talked about uh, your present, what you're doing now. Um, what do you think the future holds for uh, for Joel Adders? In, in other words, what is the one thing that you have to accomplish in your lifetime? Oh boy, that's a tough question. That's a really tough question. Um, um, I think I've been a part of, of products and companies and, you know, new ideas that really made a difference in somebody's life, but you never can do enough of that. So for me, I'd like to be a part of something that's even more impactful than anything I've done before. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, um, working on a project, working on a, a product that peop that really makes a difference in somebody's life. So it's more, it's, it, there's more of a um, human side to it than just here's a widget and I can sell it and it's better than other widgets on the market. It's something that has in some intrinsic human value. That's probably the one thing I'm looking for, you know, that I would like to do. But, you know, but when I say that, with that said, I also was interested, as I told you earlier, in forming a venture capital firm, another one down here in Florida, partly because I see a gap in the marketplace here. I don't see that there are enough firms for uh, my experiences in early stage companies. And there are very few firms down here. You know, there's some angel groups, but not even them. They're, even then, they're not that sophisticated or large. But, but um, I think there's a gap in the marketplace. I figured that out, that if I had a firm or worse part of a firm like that, you know, we could invest. And then you can really multiply your, your value because you can invest in a whole bunch of companies and each one of them has an opportunity to do something significant. So, so it could be looked at that way as well. That's kind of what I want to do. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that really speaks to your character, uh, you know, that you want to make a greater impact on others. Um, so, you know, we, we talked about, uh, we talked about your life and, and kind of the path that you've taken. Um, but I'm sure that along the way you had some help because you've done some incredible things. Um, so could you point to anybody who, or, or multiple people who you would say have been mentors to you? Um, yeah, of course. Um, uh, the very first mentor was, um, well, I had a manager when I was in sales. I had a sales manager <clears throat> that lived in Atlanta. I was in Ohio at the time. And he, he was a very positive person. And he was a mentor. What I learned from him is he always provided, um, if there's feedback to be provided, it was always done in a positive way. And it was always how we can make you better or, you know, whatever, as opposed to, you know, you didn't do this right and you didn't do that right. So he was a great mentor in terms of how to deal with people, because dealing with people is a huge part of being an entrepreneur, because um, you've got to be dealing with people at all sorts of different levels, above you, below you, next to you, etc. So he was the first one. The second mentor was when I went, when I made the jump from sales to marketing. Um, and, and if you recall from my background, I don't ha I never took any class. I never took a marketing class in my life. Um, in fact, I only took I think I told you one business class in my entire life economics. But other than that, I was a scientist in by education and I learned everything else on my own. So I found myself running a marketing group. And I really didn't have any background in it, but it didn't matter because it kind of came naturally. But I did um, have um, a guy that was the um, account executive at my um, advertising agency. And he was older than I was, maybe 25 years older than I was. And he, of course, had been a part of many, many product launches and many rebranding exercises and many corporate identity projects, et cetera, et cetera. So he kind of took me under his wing and even though I was his client, he taught me everything. So he, he's the one that told me, well, here's what you do for this and here's what you do for that. And they were very valuable, um, very valuable experiences. So he was probably my second mentor that I look the most fondly on. Um, you know, we spent five or six years doing projects together and, uh, but he, he taught me most everything. Um, after that time, there are people that um, that I worked not exactly with, but I mean, not exactly for, but with um, people who ran venture firms. I can think of one guy who ran a, a venture firm, and I just was able to observe what he did and how he did things and how, how what criteria he used to invest, and, uh, and I found that very useful, not only later on when I was doing the same thing, but even it helped me figure out, okay, well, what do I present to investors? How do I, how do I make the best possible impact on people when I'm doing a pitch? So he was probably the third. So I think it's, I think mentors are really important and really helpful. And, uh, and you've got to be open to their constant thoughts and ideas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think one of the best parts of having mentors is, is having that influx of ideas and, and thoughts that, yep. that it kind of opens your, your mind and helps you get some perspective. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, in addition to, to mentors, um, 
what other sources of, of education um, did you seek as an entrepreneur? Because, you know, as you said, you never went to any business classes. Well, I um, I did take the American, Ameri I don't even know if they still have it, but years ago, the American Management Association had a, had a business course. So I, I guess I have to amend my earlier statement. I did take their course or started their coursework and, uh, um, and, uh, and I, the one economics class I took was in preparation to, to earn an MBA. So I was accepted to an MBA program, and this was my first prerequisite. The problem with that is I got promoted and had to move. So I, was, I left the state, so I couldn't go to school there, so I never did that. But what I did mostly was read and talk to lots of people and observe. So I, I read a ton of articles. I was always reading articles or if a new book came out or whatever. And um, and uh, um, and that would help. And then I would go to a lecture or presentations if they were ever given, especially if they were free. And uh, and I could go and, uh, you know, just listen. And then you 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 learn as much from talking to other people, meeting people who might be there, you know, as from anything else. So it was mostly reading and talking to other people is what I did for my career. And then, of course, seek out experts when you don't know what you're doing. I mean, you know, when I was doing something in marketing and, you know, and in my career, marketing went from something that was very stable to when digital marketing came in, you had to change everything. I mean, you know, we had to create a website. That was a big deal when you first, when websites first came out, you know, and then we had to, um, we decided to use Flash for, for our, one of our early websites. Well, that was a big deal. Nobody used Flash. And so I had to work with the, ad agency and the design firm to figure all that out. So you have to work with those other kinds of people and you learn from them as well. So that's, that's really what I did in my career. I, it's like, you know, it would have been nice to, to get that MBA and have that experience. It probably would have shortcut a lot of things I had to do. On the other hand, I had to figure it out myself and there's some value in doing that too. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Now, you did mention that you read a lot, and you read articles and books and, and whatnot. Um, if you could point to maybe two or three books uh, that you would recommend to aspiring entrepreneurs, what would it well, be? there's there's so many more books out now than the stuff that I read years ago. I'm not sure I could do that. Um, I really couldn't put my finger on something. I haven't looked at that kind of stuff in a lot of in a lot of years, and. Uh, um, Actually, I wrote a book, or I was part of writing a book. I guess I should recommend that. I wonder if I have it, if I have it where that is in my office here. Um, anyway, it's, um, it's, it's a book that I wrote it with a colleague in New York City, and it's called, um, oh, God, I have to remember, um, The Ten Lies um, People, Marketers Tell Themselves When Doing a Startup Company. The Ten Marketing Lies They Talk Themselves Into When They Do a Startup Company. And so we came up with, it was around a presentation that I gave to a, I was invited to give a presentation to a chamber of commerce group of all things. And so I came up with this idea of these lies people tell themselves. You know, for example, well, I don't want to share my technology because people will, will steal it. And that's really stupid. You've got to talk about what you're doing. Um, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. So we came up with 10 of them and we, and I have that book. Um, and you know, that, that would be one thing I would, I still, I still give that out. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, 
So that was kind of a fun thing to do. Um, I don't really have any other titles to offer you today. I can come back to that, but I could. I don't have anything off the top of my head. That, that's still a really good recommendation, something that you wrote originally. Um, yep. You know, so I, I guess I have, uh, I guess I have two more questions for you. Okay. Um, one would be, if you had one piece of advice that you could leave behind to serve as your legacy, what would it be? For an entrepreneur, you mean? Yes. Um. I would say, um, um, actually, I'm going to pull something out here, and I don't know if you can see it here. I've got a little, um, it's really a paperweight. I don't know if you can read it or not, but, but yeah. it's, a Winston Chir it's a Winston Churchill quote that I really like, and it's really for entrepreneurs, too. And it says, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> and, uh, Winston Churchill wrote that during World War II, and they were clearly going through hell in England. But... As an entrepreneur, you can't give up. And if you're going through hell, you, if, you're, if you're having problems, you just got to keep working. So a lot of it is the, the perspiration side in terms of, you know, just keep trying. This doesn't work, try that. This doesn't work, try that. And you just got to keep going. So that would be my, my advice. And, of course, he coined that phrase nicely. I like it. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so I guess my final question is... Um, is there anything about yourself that you think is an important part of who you are that I did not ask you about today? In other words, what did I miss? I think we've covered most of the big topics. Um, I think the one thing we didn't talk about, we talked about it a little bit, is, is passion for what you're doing. And because um, that will drive you, that'll help you going to keep going through hell. Um, if you have passion about what you're doing, if you really believe in it and, um, and you don't let other people talk you out of it. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. There will be naysayers along the way for every single thing you do. People will, you t will tell you you can't do it, you can't do it, that doesn't make sense, you're wasting your time. But if you and your gut really feel it's, it's good and what you're offering is valuable and you've done your homework and you know someone cares about it, and you just have to keep pursuing it no matter how hard it is. That's really what you have to do. So that's that whole concept. Absolutely. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's some of the, some of the best advice an entrepreneur can, uh, can have. So, you know, I just want to say thank you um, for mm -hmm. spending time um, you know, sharing today. And um, for everybody listening, this has been another Project Egg interview. Today we've been talking to Joel Ivers from Pasadena, California. Thank you very much.